You're listening to the sermon audio from Midtree Church. If you like what you heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at midtreechurch.com. Well, good morning, guys. Y'all doing all right? Can I just tell y'all, um, so many things happen that make me laugh on the inside that I, I don't always get to share publicly. But in the event that you're visiting, just to give you a touch of the ethos of the way we do church, it's very real out here. What, you re- what we realized very quickly with wild animals within about 50 feet and meeting outside is you just can't fake stuff. Like, don't get me wrong, you can, right? Like, this is church. It, it's, it is the home of people faking things, right? But, but the reality of it is out here, some things you just can't fake. And a, a moment ago, while the offering was being passed, there was a puff of ozone that wafted across the right side of, of the whatever, the place. And, um, and the reason is, I went up to Wyatt and I said, hey man, I'm going to turn off this heater because it's loud. Will you unplug it? And then right after I said it, Joe and Wes were like, oh man, the heater went out. We need to do something about it. They flip it back on, diesel pumps into the crowd. And it's just like, yeah, man, you know what? Sometimes it's just going to be real. It's going to be what it is. And then uh, we, we kind of changed our arrangement. Usually we're facing this way. We, we switched it. And this is maybe my favorite part of the morning so far. Just to laugh at ourselves and be real. Right after Jimmy goes, hey, guys, just so you know, no compulsion to give. We want this to be an offering to you. Ushers were like super struggling going north to south. East to west is easier to pass a basket, I guess. North to south, it was just like, no, this is not going to happen. So it's like the basket goes, and it's like, oh, there's another one. Okay, fine. I'll, all right, I get it. Don't give. All right, second bed, just put it on. Hey, if there is something that I can encourage everyone with, it doesn't matter if you've been here since we started the church in August, or this is your first Sunday. This is a place, this is a church where you can rest and you can be real. In fact, it is by far the best way for you to pursue the Lord. And why else come to church on Easter Sunday than to pursue the Lord? So that's my encouragement. Whatever's going on in your world, whatever's going on in your life, just rest in this place and be real. And, and what that means is if you're cold, we got blankets. If you're thirsty, there's some water somewhere over there and changing the orientation. If you need to go to the bathroom, it's right here up front where everybody will know it. But you know what? Let's just love Jesus and enjoy his word together. If you would, uh, there's some, if you forgot your Bible, didn't bring your Bible, there's some tucked into the chairs around you. Uh, the scriptures that I read will certainly be appearing on the screen as well, but I think it's great for us to get comfortable flipping through our Bibles. If you want, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, keep that. Uh, the, the best thing that we can do as a church is get God's word into your life and into your world. So by all means, keep that if you don't have one. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started in Mark chapter 16. I think that's it. Anybody? Anybody? Are we good? All right. I just want to make sure. Karen Ann, we're okay. All right. If my wife says everything's good. We're good. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that every word that we sang this morning is true. Thank you that we do not need to come around idle fairy, idle tales, idle fairy tales of religiosity. That when we open up the word of God, it is without a doubt true. And yet, as I say that, for any who are skeptical in this room, I can't convince them otherwise, but your spirit can. And so I pray that you would. And for those of us who came into this place worshiping, we've been worshiping, we open up God's word and we'll continue to worship 
Would you show us greater depths of worship founded in the reality of the risen King? Father, may, may our hearts swell this morning. I just pray, God, that you would do whatever it is that you want. Use me, move me out of the way. But we just pray that your spirit would move in this place as we seek you together. And we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew chapter 16, I'm just going to jump right into it. Matthew chapter, excuse me, Mark chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him, him being Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. This is why we do a sunrise service. Uh, it, we don't do a sunrise service to say, well, let's see who's serious about fighting comfort and loving the Lord. We're going to get up when it's dark. We're going to get the kids up when it's dark. They're going to have to walk past the Easter basket, fighting all of that selfish temptation. This is good. We're going to go outside where it's cold. No, no, no. Why? We are joining into the story of the resurrection. For those of us who earlier this morning were over on a hill as the sun began to peek up over the side, we are joining in the very story that I am reading to you. Verse 3. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed, do not be afraid. Interestingly enough, the very same thing that an angel says when Jesus is coming, his birth that we celebrate at Christmas, do not be afraid. We see mimicked, almost wrapping the arms in a hug around the resurrection of Christ. Do not be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And then they leave. Now at that moment, a group of people leave the, they leave the tomb. This group of women, they leave the tomb. Bonus points for anybody paying attention. Where are they headed? Where are they headed? Galilee, okay? They're on their way to Galilee. Now, at the exact same time that these women are on their way to Galilee, there's a second group that leaves the tomb with a different mission, a different cause, a different idea, and going to a different place. Flip in your Bibles, if you would, now to the end of Matthew. And Matthew picks up in here and gives us some detail on that. This is Matthew chapter 28, verse 11. I'll give you a chance to flip. So the ladies, they see the, risen, or they, they see the angel. It is proclaimed that Jesus has risen and they're sent to Galilee. As they go, a second group leaves. Matthew 28, verse 11. While they were going, while the ladies were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city. And they told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, let me pause there. Why are they taking counsel? Well, because all of a sudden they need to come up with an explanation for what has happened. The soldiers were there for a reason. We, we read this in uh, Matthew 27. Uh, and they said, sir, we remember how that imposter, speaking of Jesus, said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. And so what did they do? They put three soldiers, uh, they put soldiers by the tomb. To make sure that nobody came to make this 
obviously irrational thing, a believable thing. So the soldiers, they see exactly what's just happened. And they look around and they go and they say, hey, here's the deal. There's nobody in the tomb anymore. And so all of the religious leaders, all of the authorities get together and they have to answer the question, what are we going to do? What are we going to say? So they get into council and then notice this. They gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. It basically means they gave them enough. Well, why? Well, because of this. And they tell them, tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we, the soldiers, were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Why do they give them so much money? Well, back in the day, if you fell asleep on guard, it was punishable by death. So the religious leaders had to pay these guys enough money so that they saw fit to say, you know what? I'm kind of taking my life into my own hands. You better make it worth it for me. And they say, no problem. We'll definitely make it worth it for you. And we'll go one step further. If anybody asks any questions, we'll go in. We'll talk to the governor. We'll make sure he has enough so that you guys don't have to worry about anything. And this is how it closes out in verse 15. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Do you know what I find fascinating? No one, the religious leaders, the soldiers, the women, nobody argues that the tomb was not empty. You ever considered that? Have you ever considered the fact that the ladies could have showed up and looked in there just like the angel said, be like, nope, nobody's here, walk out, and the soldier's been like, time out, there's a body in the tomb. Ladies are like, no, 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 I heard the angel, there is no one in the tomb. But that's not what happens. They don't argue it at all. The soldiers don't argue it, the religious leaders don't argue it, the authorities don't argue it. Nobody argues the fact that the tomb was empty. Well, Why? Because Rome, like, rewind. I'm trying to keep my kids from watching PG-13 movies, right? Like, that's my fight. No, we don't say that word in our house, okay? Back then, life was a little rougher. The Romans had no problem trotting out dead bodies. It wasn't a problem for them. They would go conquer a kingdom. Here come the dead bodies. And everybody's like, yay, right? Like, Okay, we want, they had no problem with that. They would decorate, when Nero was king, they would decorate the city with dead bodies. Why did they not just say, here's the body? Because there wasn't one. So Piper does a, John Piper, a preacher that I greatly respect, does a great job of breaking this down. Only a few things could have happened. The argument is not, was there a body in the tomb? Nobody argues that. The question is, why wasn't there a body in the tomb? That's the question. That's a question every one of us have to answer. You can go back to the annals of Rome. I, I, back to real life. I just saw a chicken fly out of something over in the corner. So if a chick walks across your road, just kindly grab it, return it to it. Oh, Jimmy's catching it right now. Thank you, Jimmy. Oh, nope, another one got out. I'm telling you, just relax. Be real. So what happened? Well, one of a few things could have happened. Number one, Jesus' enemies, his foes, could have stolen the body. All right, that's one thing that could have happened. They could have rolled the stone away, gone in, and stolen the body. The problem is, nobody ever makes this claim. And even if they had made this claim, the moment the disciples said, He is risen, He's risen indeed, and we believe all of Jesus' enemies would have been like, Time out, here's the body, and that would have been the end of Christianity. 
they didn't do that. Why? They didn't have a body. Well, maybe they didn't have a body because Jesus' friends stole his body. This was what they were concerned about at the crucifixion. Jesus dies on the cross, and as soon as they put him in the tomb, they say, this guy said he was coming back in three days. Put some guards there. We don't want his followers to go in there and steal the body. This was a rumor that was spread from the very beginning, but we have a problem with that. How did the disciples pull this off? If Jesus' friend stole his body, how did they pull it off? So these 12 guys walk up. They see the armed soldiers trained for war. These are fishermen, tax collectors. I'm not saying they probably got in some fights, right? I mean, all of us were in elementary school. Peter probably got in a lot of fights, okay? He probably deserved a couple of the black guys that he got. But nonetheless, they're not about to walk up to some soldiers and lay it down. Even if they did, we have, they have another problem. The soldiers show up to the religious leaders, and they look fine and dandy. In fact, that would have been a better argument to make. Hey, hit me in the face really hard. We've all seen this in a movie, right? Just hit me really, really hard. Mean it. That would have been a better argument. But the soldiers show up to the religious leaders, all baby-faced and happy, and they're like, hey, there's not a body there anymore. Well, they can't say that they got beat up. They look completely fine. Additionally, they could say... that. This is, this is my favorite. They snuck in and stole it. All right, so we're asleep. This, this is what I think of when I think of Jesus' friend stealing his body. It makes me think of being 14 years old, 16 years old in the, wood, in the woods playing manhunt or capture the flag. Girls, I'm sorry. I have no illustration for you at this point unless you were awesome at 14 or 16, okay? So here's what I love. I love the idea of these two soldiers who it could have cost them their life falling asleep, both, uh, at least there's more than one, both of them falling asleep, and the disciples all creepy style in their camo, coming up to the tomb. Keep in mind, the Bible says it was a heavy rock. They put their hands on it, and they go, I mean, we're, we're not talking about a squeaky door. We're not talking about a squeaky floor. We're talking about a boulder locked in place, and these dudes are going to go up, No, they're they're not sneaking in while the guards are asleep. Absolutely not. Another argument is that Jesus was not really dead. Now, I I, I would just tell you, the Romans were really good at killing people. (laughs) They were sort of experts at it. Had it down to a science. In fact, we can go back to the scripture. You can even go back to not scripture and read in the annals of Rome that Pontius Pilate sentenced Jesus to death on a cross where he was crucified and killed. They walked up and they said, is he dead? Yes, he's dead. Let's make sure. They stab him in the side and it says that blood flowed out. Not only that, I would also mention to you that Jesus was beaten horribly long before he ever ended up on the cross on Good Friday. So much so that he couldn't carry his cross under the exertion of it. They had to get Joseph to come out here and carry it for him. Why? Because he would have died before he made it to the crucifixion. And that's how he was supposed to die. And it was their job to make sure that the full punishment was let out. So the other thought is that Jesus, by himself, after being crucified, stabbed, flogged, resuscitates, wakes up, and says, man, that was rough, and walks up and single-handedly from the inside in the dark after being stabbed, rolls the stone away, and sneaks past the guard. 
Here's what I'm telling you. Of all of the options, God raised Jesus from the dead. And, 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 And the moment I say that, God raised Jesus from the dead, one of two things happens. One of two things happens in this room. One of two things happens, God willing, in every church that is preaching the gospel this morning. Some of us begin worshiping and some of us begin doubting. That's okay. Those are exactly the two people that we need in this place. People who are worshiping and people who are doubting. And for those of you who the moment I say God raised Jesus from the dead, your heart lifts and you get excited and you get joyful, I want to remind you where you came from that your worship would be more full. And for those of you who are skeptical, I am crazy excited, super pumped that you are here this morning. And I believe it is no accident that God in his sovereignty, power, and ability brought you here this morning. Being skeptical is not always a bad thing. We learn to be skeptical because we live with a bunch of punks. Consider this. If the people around you were not lying scoundrels half the time, we would not be skeptical people. But the moment in fifth grade, your teacher said, pop test, you were like, something is wrong with the world. I have been betrayed. This is not how things are supposed to be. It's okay to be skeptical sometimes. I, 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 uh, my, my family went on a trip to Colorado recently. And I told my wife, I've been skiing with the kids since they were itty bitty. I, I was a youth pastor for 18 years. Learning to ski is part of the deal. Okay? So I taught my kids to ski. <laughs> So I tell my wife, hey, we're going on vacation, and I'm not leading a trip. You're going to learn to ski. And she's like, I'm not going to learn how to ski, right? Like, that's not who I am. It's like, baby, 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 baby. I've taught every one of our kids to ski. I'm going to be able to teach you to ski. She was skeptical. It was wise for her to be skeptical. Because at the end of day one, while she's bruised and beaten, and I'm like, just stand up. Turn them this way. Pizza, french fry. Come on. You know how to do this thing. What's so tough about standing up and balancing on ice? I mean, get it together. She tells me that night, much to my consternation, I think I cried 15 times in my goggles and you never saw it. I'm like, yeah, no, I didn't know. I knew you cried twice, but I didn't know. She she should have been skeptical when, um, when I put her on a motorcycle. I don't know how many years ago is this? Two years ago, three years ago? Put her on a motorcycle. I was like, baby, you got this. It's not big. It's just like riding a bike, but you don't have to pedal. It's the best. She's like, I can't do this. I'm like, you got it. She should have been skeptical. Because somehow, I don't know why people do this. Somehow, people hit the gas. They're like, scary, more gas, more gas, more gas. And she drives straight into the back of a truck. All right? So sometimes it's okay to be skeptical if the person that is talking to you is not reliable. As I am not, if a Bible is not near me. All right? You've been forewarned. I put pickles in the kids' Easter eggs the other day. Why not? Sounded fun to me. If you found a pickle egg, that was me. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. But if the person that you are talking to is reliable, 100% of the time, for all history and all time, I would submit to you there's no reason to be skeptical. The question is, Do you believe that about God? Do you believe that about his word? At one, but this is, this is the first point I want everyone to get. At one point, we were all skeptics. At one point, we were all skeptics. Enjoy this. 
Why were the women going to the tomb? We can make this conversational. It's more fun. Why were they going to the tomb? Is it, were y'all paying attention? They were going to do something. What? They were going to anoint the body. Guess what you don't do to a living body? Anoint it with like funeral fragrances. Okay? If somebody comes at you and says, man, you're looking really bad. And start. Okay. They are going to the tomb because they believe Jesus is still dead in the tomb. What did Jesus told them? On the third day, I will rise. The women who made it to the tomb were skeptics. And then guess what they do? They run and they tell the apostles. That's what I just read to you. And here's what the apostles say. If you have ever been skeptical, if in this moment you are skeptical about God's word, find great comfort in this. Luke 24, verse 10. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles, okay? Same women at the tomb. They now turn to the apostles. He has risen. We saw an empty tomb and he met us on the way. And now I'm telling you, he is risen. Here's what the apostles, the disciples, the people who walked and watched Jesus heal the blind, heal the leper, bring dead back to life in Lazarus, multiply food, do all sorts of miracles. Here's what the apostles say. But these words seem to them an idle tale. It sounded like a religious fairy tale to the followers of Christ. And they did not believe them. If if the guy who walked on water, and I'm not talking about Jesus, I'm talking about Peter for a hot minute before he freaked out. If the ones who saw Bread and fish multiplied. Here, from women who they know, love, and trust that Jesus has risen. After Jesus said, in three days I will rise. And it sounds like a religious fairy tale to them. Guess what? We should not be surprised when it sounds like a religious fairy tale to us. All of us were at once skeptics. This is my favorite. Thomas. Why the term doubting Tom still exists today. John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas... One of the twelve called the twin was not with them when Jesus came. So I hope you're you're picking up on the cycle. Somebody sees Jesus and they worship him. Then they go and tell others and the others doubt. Then they see Jesus and they worship him. They go and tell others and the others doubt. Then they see Jesus and they worship him. They go and tell others and the others doubt. But here is my hope for us this morning. Jesus steps in and he breaks that cycle so that you can hear the message without seeing him with your own eyes and actually have belief in the resurrection. Thomas was one of the 12. He wasn't with them when they came. Verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Just in the same. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. That is as skeptical as it gets. So skeptical that Thomas says, if Jesus was standing in front of me and said, what's up, Tom? How you been? I'm back. Let's talk about life. Thomas is like, nope, not believing it until I touch him. Verse 26. These are three of my favorite words in the entire book of John. Eight days later. I love those three words. Because you know all of the apostles were like, Thomas, I'm telling you. Day one. Day two. Look. We saw him. Tom's like, no, man. Nope, 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 nope. For eight days, they have to put up with this Eeyore of a No, I'm not going to believe it. No, 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 no. Eight 
days. And you know the disciples at the end of eight days were like, oh, junk. That's how I was to Jesus. Man. And yet here's what happens. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. I can't tell you how many times I walked down the aisle to get saved. You would think they were handing out snacks when I was a kid during every altar call. Or that you got some kind of ribbon or award. So many times I walked down the aisle. So many times I was like, no, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Okay, I, don't, I really don't want to go to hell. I'm going to go down. I'm going to get saved. It's going to stick this time. Why? Because I was putting my faith in my ability to believe. My ability to stay clean. My ability to follow through and walk. Not in Christ's ability to save me. And here's what we read in verse 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Worship. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? And then these words spoken to every one of us in this room. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And all of a sudden, this cycle of seeing, worshiping, telling, and doubting breaks. Because Jesus says, there will be those who believe, though they have not seen. They didn't touch, but they will believe. Tim Keller puts it this way. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not on whether, excuse me, is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Because if he did, then everything that he said is true. But consider this. Let's go back to our ladies. Go, go back to the ladies. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. I want you to consider this. Why were they going to anoint a dead body? In fact, it says this. They bought spices so they might go and anoint him. Dropping into verse 3, dropping into verse three they're going to anoint the body, but they don't even know how they're going to pull it off. They think we're going to figure some way out to get that stone rolled out of the way. Maybe we can coerce the soldiers. I have a feeling they can be bought off. Additionally, maybe they'll just have a little bit of compassion on us, but maybe somehow we're going to figure it out. We're going to get the stone out of the way, and we're going to go, and we're going to step in, and we're going to put the, these spices and these smells on them. Why? They were going to a grave to make death less horrifying. They were going to a grave to make death more palatable, to remove its stench. And all along the way, they're trying to figure out how are we going to make this work. And in those two realities are the greatest realities for us this morning. You and I can't fix death. We cannot make it appealing. There's no amount of cologne. There's no amount of good feelings that we can apply to it. We can't make death appealing, but God can. And yesterday when some of us were putting that cross up so that it would be front and center, it caused me to think, when else is death put on display in a glorious way? Why can we as believers look at an instrument of death and call it beautiful? Because only God can make death appealing. 
when he winds it back. And he says, out of this, something beautiful is going to come. But not only that, these ladies show up saying, how am I going to? That's religion. Take every religion in the world that ever has been, is, or will be. They're all answering the same question. How can I fill in your blank? How can I be good enough? How can I be clean enough? How can I be better than this? How can I be better than that? How can I do enough at the end so that good things come my way? The gospel is not us saying, how can I? Ladies, it's not saying, how can you roll the stone away? The gospel is God saying, I've already done it. The beauty of the gospel is that God actually makes death appealing and that God does the work of making death appealing. You can't. You can't fix this, but God can make it glorious. He can open a tomb. He can open our eyes just as he did Thomas's. He can open our hearts, and that's my prayer. God saves skeptics. Every one of us was a skeptic and God saves skeptics. And when I say that, I don't mean God is okay with skeptics being saved. I mean, any time a skeptic is saved, it is because God is the one who did it. God is the one who rolled it back. God is the one who was able to make death appealing. Skepticism is only overcome by irrefutable truth. I was standing in the halls of Hardaway a number of years ago. And somebody was like, hey, Will, I know a girl who likes you. And I was like, time out, girls don't like me. I know you look at me now and you're like, that couldn't be. It was very much true. (laughs) And I was really good at Science Olympiad. Uh, I was really good at Academic Decathlon. Thank you. Uh, Not so good with the ladies. So I I married the first one that would date me. And the... This person said, hey, I know a girl who likes you. And like Zach Morris standing in the, in, the, in the middle of the school, it was like things were just rushing by, but time had frozen for me. And then like four days later, I, I got up the courage and I called and she picked up the phone. And I was like, oh, she's actually, she picked up the phone. This is a good sign, right? That's legit. All right. Great, great, great. And then she talked to me and she kept talking to me. I was like, this is going really, really well. And then 10 hours later, we were still talking and her dad came in. I was like, this went really, really bad. I should have thought this through. I really should have thought this through. This isn't the way. What caused my skepticism of a friend saying, a girl likes you, Will, to be overcome? Irrefutable evidence that she picked up the phone and kept talking to me. It's the only way. The same thing is true for every skeptic. The only way is that God overcomes skepticism through the irrefutable truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 puts it this way. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3. If I, if I could only tell you one thing this morning, this would be it. Paul writes, for I delivered to you as of first importance. Paul, who wrote more books of the Bible inspired by the Holy Spirit than anything else, highlights, underscores this passage when he says, this is the most important thing, that Christ died. He actually died. Full payment made. All of the wrath of God poured out and he died. For the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23. 
But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus died. And he didn't just die because it was time to die. He didn't just die of old age. That Christ died for our sins. He died so that every wrong thing you ever thought, said, or did could be placed upon his body on the cross and all of the punishment that we deserve for doing wrong things. And all of us know that we deserve punishment when we do wrong things, right? All of it is placed on Christ in accordance with the scripture. This was not a surprise to God. From day one when the sun came up and he said let there be light. And the darkness was pierced. He started telling a story. And part of that story was this. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day. In accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared. And then they go on. To Cephas. And then to the twelve. Then to more to five hundred brothers at one time. Most of whom are still alive. Not now. But when he wrote it. And what he's basically saying is. Go and ask them. Go talk to them about it. Let them testify to you about the risen Lord. And then we find this. Jump to verse 14 for me if you would, Bruner. If Christ has not been raised. Then our preaching is in vain. Here's the deal. If Jesus didn't come back from the dead, I have really made a bad decision in my career. All of you have made a very poor decision this morning. You should have slept in. If Jesus didn't come back from the dead, every sermon ever preached, every sermon being preached right now is all in vain. Not only that, every bit of belief that anyone has ever had is in vain. Jump, jump to verse 17 for me, Brunner. And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. You still have a major problem if Jesus hasn't come back from the dead. All of your sins, all of the wrath that you deserve, all of the punishment that we are owed still rests on you. But verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits. In other words, he's been raised from the dead as first of many who would be raised from the dead and our sin has been paid for. That sufficient sum that was given to the soldiers pales in comparison to the sufficient sum that was paid for everyone who would believe in Christ. The sufficient sum of the blood of Christ. I struggled as a kid understanding the resurrection. And it wasn't because I didn't get it conceptually. Like, I understood dead things. I'd had lots of pets growing up. And I understood that when you dig the hole and you put them in, it stays that way unless zombie apocalypse time has happened and that has not happened yet. And so I understood, even as a kid, the concept of the resurrection. But I didn't get why it mattered. My, my thought was, Jesus already paid, right? He died on the cross. He said, it is finished. That's enough, isn't it? But when I think about his disciples... That's not how they responded. They, they were there. They saw, many of them, Christ on the cross saying, it is finished as he breathed his last breath. And do you know what John didn't do? He didn't pop up and say, hallelujah, it is finished. And then go and be like, it's over, people. Jesus paid for my sin and walked up to Roman uh, uh, centurions and got all up in their face and said, do what you want. No. They ran like little bitty scaredy cats out of that place. When the shepherd was struck, the sheep scattered. But something happened that turned all of these sheepish little lamb men into warriors of the faith. Something happened that caused them to go from crying and running to standing in front of authorities and saying, throw me in prison. 
I don't care. Beat me. I couldn't care less. I'm getting a better body anyway. Take my life. You are only serving me because I have a better life to come. Something happened. And this is what I didn't understand. When you make a payment, two things have to happen in the transaction. You have to pay and somebody has to accept that payment. I'll prove it to you. Go to a car dealership and try to buy something in Bitcoin. Oh, man, that's a really nice truck. Cool. I'll take it. I am now transferring my Bitcoin into your account. And the salesman's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I can't take that. And you're like, well, it's already left my account. I've already paid for it. Let me give you a more realistic one since none of us have Bitcoin. All right? Go to Walmart. Make a purchase. Take your purchase out of that cute little plastic bag and try to walk out the door. Have y'all not tried this before? If you don't have a plastic bag, you're not going anywhere. If you try to walk out of something without a plastic bag, go next door to Sam's. Y'all remember Butch would stand next to Sam's every day? Hey, Butch, how you doing, man? Go ahead. Make the purchase at Sam's. Buy your 55 pounds of dog food. Swipe. It is out of my account. Then take that receipt and throw it in the garbage can. You're going to have a big problem when you get to that door. You want to know why? Because you're not going through that door if you don't have a proof of that purchase. We, uh, we went up to Atlanta um, for my son's birthday. We were going to take him to a monster truck show, right? It was right after the Super Bowl, so Atlanta was still crazy. Um, and, oh gosh, this story makes me so mad. The, the only reason I'm cool with it is because I'm praying that it, like, it's redemptive in some moment right now. Um, gosh. So I get out of the car. It's, it's crowded. I'm like, all right, baby, I'm going to run, try to get our tickets. You just stay in this horrible traffic. Tiggy, my little four-year-old, has to go potty. So I got my little four-year-old, cutest little thing. We're going. She's got to go to the potty. Daddy's going to get tickets. I get close to, I get close to the thing, and what do I hear? No, nah, I hear tickets, tickets, right? They're selling tickets outside. You already know where this is going. So I'm no dummy. I'm a dummy. I'm no dummy. I walk up to the guy. And he's like, I got tickets, I got this, that, and the other. I'm like, okay, I'm not buying tickets off some dude on the street. So I call a friend of mine who's sitting in here that I would love to make an angry face at right now, but I don't see him. And I'm like, dude, you ever buy tickets off somebody on the street? And he's like, oh, yeah, 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 I do it all the time. Just make sure the ticket looks good. I look at the ticket, date, stamp. I mean, this is a good-looking ticket. And I'm like, cool, yeah, I'll take some tickets. I'm, this is what makes me so mad. My little four-year-old daughter is with me. She just went potty, right? And so we're just like walking, and I'm going to the ATM. I get $180 out of the ATM, all right? We're not doing that well. All right, but I get $180 out of the ATM. And the whole time, I'm like, dude, don't screw me over, right? My daughter is, I'm just trying to get my kid to a birthday party. And the guy's like, I would never do that to anybody, especially to a little girl. Oh, I can bend this pulpit in half right now. I'd never do that to a little girl. Well, guess what he did to that little girl and her daddy and everybody else? I buy the tickets. Money is gone. Have I paid? Yes, I've paid. Through the nose, I've paid. And I jump back in the car. I drop my family off at the front door. I go a mile away to find some place to park. And as soon as I pull into the parking, my phone rings. My wife, hey, sweetie, just wanted to let you know these are fraudulent tickets. Heart drops. Anger just flashes. In that moment, I was like, no, hell makes sense. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not messing with you. That is the first thing that went through my mind. Do you want to, and, and look, that's cool. 
We should be angry at injustice. God's angry at injustice. And so that's exactly what I thought. And so I'm like, oh gosh, what am I going to do? So I parked the car, half praying, half raging. You know how it is. I'm just back and forth, fighting the spirit. Not fighting the spirit. I might have been fighting the flesh, holding on to the spirit. And my wife calls me back a few minutes later. And she says, hey, um, the, the girl who's running the turnstile said she's, she's just going to let us in anyway. We're, we're not going to have to buy more tickets. She's, she's just going to let us in anyway. And in that moment, what God put on display for me was this. Two things. It doesn't matter how much you pay if your payment's not accepted. But God showed an abundance of grace. Why did my kid get to go watch a monster truck? I didn't do enough. My wife didn't do enough. It's because somebody saw fit to show grace. And when we stand before God, in this moment, I, I told you we're real here. Right now, somebody's dying on the planet. And a moment later, another. And they're going to stand before God. And my prayer, this is my hope as I'm reading these scriptures to you. That you are not rifling through your pockets looking for a plastic bag. That you're not rifling through your pockets trying to find some receipt or some fraudulent ticket. That when you stand before God, you're not looking for anything of your own doing. But instead, you're looking to Christ. And this is what Ephesians tells us. That you may know. No longer be a skeptic. What is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? His grace. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Verse 20. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. When I stand before God, for any of you who are believing in Christ, stand before God on that day. We've got no receipt to show. We've got no plastic bag to show. We've got no fraudulent ticket that's going to get us in the door. We are going to look. And because Jesus is seated next to his heavenly father right now, I'm going to stand there and I'm going to point to Christ as the proof of purchase of my soul that's the hope of the resurrection that the price has been paid on the cross but that God has accepted that as proof of purchase two things haven't changed Stokes would you go ahead and come on up our need and Jesus's offer and this is the best and the worst part about being a preacher this is my greatest consternation and my greatest comfort I want you to believe the gospel. I want you to believe in the resurrection. I want you to see the freedom and the forgiveness from sin. What it is to have a life with joy. To have purpose that is fulfilled. But it doesn't matter if I come up with the best illustration. It doesn't matter if Bennett presses a button and the super cool pad starts coming through. And music starts. I, that doesn't matter emotionally. It doesn't matter if I tell you about all of the prayers that I've seen answered in my life and testify to all of the lives that I've seen change. Just like the disciples, people who live this way, then in a moment they were living that way. None of that matters. I can't make anyone believe. But God can. He rolled away the stone. Not the ladies. He rolled it away. And Ezekiel tells us, I will, God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
We can't remove the stench of our sin. We can't remove the stench of our death. But in John chapter 11, Jesus goes up to Lazarus and they literally say, what are you about to open that tomb for? It's going to stink. And Jesus says, are you ready to see the glory of God? The hope that we have to move from doubter to worshiper, to move from skeptic to saint, is that God opens eyes. And he doesn't do it from a sermon. He doesn't do it from a song. Maybe he uses those as instruments. Romans 10. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. That's what I've tried to give you this morning. The word of God. So that all of us. As 1 Peter 1.8 says. Though you have not seen him. Thomas. You had to see him. But there will be those who believe. That have never seen. Though you have not seen him. You love him. I hope this is you. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That any who repent of their sins, some of you may be remembering back to when you were nine years old. Some of you may now realize I've been a skeptic my whole life. The beauty of the gospel is this. You don't have to clean yourself up. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he's happy to do it because he paid for it. And God proved that he paid for it by rising him from the dead as a permanent proof of the purchase of the soul of any who would trust in him. Let's pray. Father, as we stand to worship, as some of us go in the back to pray, I just pray that your spirit would move That every one of us would remember that though at one time we were a skeptic, you love saving skeptics. And you do it through the irrefutable proof of the resurrection. And so, Father, even in this moment as people are wrestling with skepticism, would you through your word breathe life and belief into them? Would you give them faith that they would be able to say, I believe. Would you give them hope to be able to say, I repent of my sins and trust in Christ. That they would know that nothing pleases you more than to see a sinner turn into a saint. To see a skeptic become a son or a daughter. Father, I pray that you would do that for your glory and for our joy. We worship you this morning. The risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.